Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. The off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. Brian Pierce here, your host, uh, still surprisingly your host uh, for 2015. Luckily enough, I haven't fired myself. I feel like one day I'm going to do a better job. I've got confidence that I can pull it off, and I'm just going to keep on plugging away. Um, but to make sure that as I feel like sometimes my chops are going to slip a little here and there, I brought Papa Pierce back into the studio uh, but we, we did really good when we were having Jordan Bailey on and Dylan Green, and I figured, you know what, 2015, we need to make sure we keep that up. I've been really enjoying having a lot of more guests in, so to start things off for the new year, I brought the old man in. Um, and, and Happy New Year. And you were excited because Ian Blythe is on, and last Absolutely. time you were on, you were, uh, Ian Blythe was on as well, right after we got... Or, you got to meet him for the first time. Even I think I had met him a handful of times before. So seat time, what is this? This is the beer drinking, bench racing show for anybody out there who might be an enthusiast of motorcycles or two-wheeled sports. You could even be an off-road enthusiast, and I'm pretty sure that if you are open to fun discussions, you're going to enjoy this show. But we are the online show for the off-road enthusiast. And for 2015, Seat Time is presented by Fly Racing. Fly Racing is our, and obviously they have been our longest supporter. They found us when we were about 20 beers in, four videos done, and just a bunch of drunks on a couch, which... Things have side of, kind of changed. One of us is sober. One of us is sober. But uh, after all of this, we've kind of come on. Our, our relationship's growing. It's getting that much more stronger. So now it's just seat time presented by Fly Racing. And obviously there's going to be much more of that in the, in the, in the future. And our relationship's going to continue to grow. And hopefully we're going to be able to do more for them as they continue to do more for us. So it's going to be a great 2015 with them being such a great sponsor. We do have some other contracts out there that are being signed for other sponsors for 2015. But of course, as we all know, nothing ever happens before it needs to. So one day we'll be able to announce all that. Of course, Stillwell Performance, huge supporters of Seat Time. The guys over at Fast Company, uh, with their flex bars. If you're not running any of those, Go get your suspension done by Stillwell Performance. You can find them at stillwellperformance.com and get yourself some flex bars by Fast Company at fastco.com because they like confusing URLs just as much as we do. Um, so, Dad, what have you been up to? Did you have a good Christmas? Did you have this a good is New my year? fourth time on the show, and I've never had a beer. Well, see, that's the thing. You're the sober one on the show. Oh, okay. So I, I bring <laughs> I bring dignity to what otherwise would be a vulgar well, brawl. Is that what <laughs> yeah. Works? So okay. Stephen's allowed to have half as much as I have. Because Stephen has to drive home. And since you have to drive just as far, if not further, uh, you know, I took it. But if I don't supply it, then I don't need to worry about it kind of a thing, right? If, you're, if you come with an IV in, who knows? Yeah, but I'm getting ready for f- photography this year. We got, uh, oh, remember, we got some uh, cases for our. Oh, for our uh, Phantoms? For yes. our Phantoms. And we're getting our video act together. And Brian got another camera. And. Look forward to doing a lot more shooting this year. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. i got a 7D on the way finally. Used body, but hey, we're going to have a good time doing that and playing with that. Well, you've got a used body. Hey, oh, that's very true. It's uh, been cut into quite a few times. But somebody else who has have no idea. a used body is Mr. Ian Blythe. So last time we talked with you was right after you were doing some rally testing, which before that you were coming back from an injury because of the fact that you had a, a bruised body when you were getting ready for the GNCCs. So, oh my gosh, what's been going on? Why aren't you at the car? That's my big that's, question. 
That is a good question. Uh, I did. I won the free entry in uh, at the Australasian Safari. I got third down there, but I was the first of the uh, the Dakar Challenge guys. So I had a free entry all lined up, but it's kind of like a free entry with a $70,000 redemption fee because you still got to get a bike to South America that's ready to race and you got to have a team supporting you. So uh, I wasn't in the cars this year, kind of a late start, but uh, it's still, still in the grand scheme. We want to, I want to hit the, the car as soon as I can. Hopefully this coming year, if not um, whenever, whenever it works out. But, uh, but yeah, it's the goal to, to go still, but couldn't make it happen this year. Yeah. I can only imagine with the, you know, with my father and I doing the Baja Rally, you know, and it's easy to say that I, I paid some money towards that, but it's even easier to say that my dad paid a shit ton of money towards that. So we can only imagine, you know, the amount of money that was put in from our side of that, like the the four, five, six times more expensive it would be to do, do the Dakar. So, yeah, that could be the logistical nightmare. <laughs> and it's something you literally have to start a year in advance to do. If, if not, not more, eighteen months. Yeah, to pull all of the bikes, the spares, the people, um, and get you ready. And you've done outstanding. I watched you ride. You're, <laughs> you're ready. It's just it takes eighteen months to pull the rest of the team together. Yeah. Uh, so Ian, not going to the car, but I imagine that you've kind of been watching how everything's been playing out down there. What are, What are your thoughts on how you know we're seeing some guys, a lot of guys actually, especially with the salt flats. You know, DNFing. If they're not DNFing, some of them are even quitting because of the fact that honestly they're not okay with with some of the conditions that they're being put through. You know, I'm just so pumped for Toby Price and Hell yeah. Pumps. I'm like, I'm pretty out of both of those those two, and like, I'm just following what they're doing, and just I'm so stoked. So, uh, you know, I'm sure the salt flats look looked kind of ridiculous, but it's like. I guess that's Dakar, and uh, I was talking to Dave Peckham with Rally Pan Am earlier, and he was like, man, I feel like right now I would be going through every electric connection on your bike, so, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we want to be there, but uh, it's kind of nice to just look and laugh at those guys. Yeah, for, uh, be like, I hope they don't year. put that in it next year. That would suck. Um, so... Toby Price, ha- getting a chance to do the rally. When we saw uh, Kurt Casilli do that in 2013, everybody was super stoked mm-hmm. for him to get that chance. He did a phenomenal job. We, uh, and we're seeing a lot of the same characteristics, I think, we saw come out of uh, Kurt Casilli as we are with Toby Price. He's really, I think, overperforming for some of the expectations that people had. Um, with a lot of the rally navigation training that you had to do, how long do you think it took you to get to a point where you were comfortable going, you know, your 90% speed before you started to not have confidence in yourself in your navigating skills? Like, Because I'd imagine that that's got to be the, one of the hardest things for Toby, so I'm kind of trying to relate it with maybe how long it took you to get comfortable doing that. Yeah, man, it was it was tough, and I can't say that I'm like the master navigator even now. I've only done one rally, but uh, you know, by the end of the the seven day rally in Australia that I did, I was starting to get confident at you know going fast and and navigating on the fly without without having to disengage and let off from riding, just just kind of doing it. And the whole thing navigating when you're like fresh, you just hop on the bike and go is one thing navigating when you're 
dehydrated and you've done 500Ks already and you're in the middle of the desert and your ears are ringing, it's a whole different thing. So uh, really impressed with Toby Price not not taking big time. You know, he's just, uh, he's just taking his time. And, and, I mean, I know that he's faster than pretty much anybody there, but he's not he's not pushing himself. He's just uh, just being real consistent and not getting lost and, and doing everything right. So I'm pumped to see that for sure. Yeah. I'm super excited for Toby Price as well. Um, 2012 Germany was the first time I got to meet that guy, and twice now I've randomly shown up at, at events, and Toby Price has been there, and it's like, holy crap, and I can, I run up to the dude, and I'm like, dude, what's going on, and we give each other a big bear hug. It's the weirdest thing because you'd think we wouldn't really... I find that he's a lot like Kirk Caselli in that way, and it's it's an interesting relation you know, to relate him like that, but honestly, like he's so open to just anybody. He's just willing to talk, willing to give you advice, always smiling, always having a good time. And so, yeah, I love running into that guy randomly, it's just like I did Kurt Caselli, because it's just, they just treat you exactly the same way. So we've got you know some time left at the car. How do you kind of expect things to continue to play out for everybody out there? You know, I think Coma's probably got it under control. Um, he's just, from the beginning, he's just been looking like he's just, He's not not worried at all. Um, so I'd have to say I'd bet that he pulls it off. But I mean, that car is a crazy race, so so you never know. Yes, yeah. And, and as we're starting to see with the salt flats and all the temperatures and things like that, I guess anything can happen. And your audience does know it's on TV on NBC Sports. That's true. Right? Yeah, if we want to catch it out, you can watch it on NBC. Have you been had a chance to catch any of that? In the afternoon, not yet. I've recorded it. Recorded but... it. Yeah, I'm the same way. Everything's recorded. Everything's been pretty nuts right now. If you guys. If you've been a fan of Sea Time for a long time, you might recognize the website because it looks exactly the same, and it's been the same for a very, very long time. Well, one of my big tasks that I've been tasked with, uh, not just by myself, but by Steven as well, he actually has a ruler and he follows me around with it and, and kind of thwacks me with it, is to is to up the ante on the Sea Time website. So in the next couple of months, you'll be able to see that. It's, it's, uh, mm. it's kicking my butt. So unfortunately, that's what I've been paying attention to much more than Dakar and things like that. But... I did see, Mr. Blythe, how much ass-kicking you did this past weekend. I, we'll say ass-kicking. For those first couple hours, you were uh, you were having a good time getting some elbows and racing with some guys out there at the, the West Hair Scrambles. So you got the win. That's awesome to see that you're still on a roll. You know, you've you carried a lot of that momentum that you had after uh, being in Australia at a rally race to a cross-country race, you know, over there in Arizona. So kind of take us through... How you got prepared for this weekend? What's your 2015 looking like? Take us through all this fun stuff because we, we're just excited to know because you just kicked butt and it was awesome. Well, thanks, man. It's actually the roll started when I, I got a 252 stroke. Uh, right just before Thanksgiving, I got a 252 stroke, a KTM 250SX, and uh, I we took it to the Ozark one out there yep and uh and did that race where i finished second uh behind Stu baylor i actually uh i actually beat Stu baylor in a moto which is like not not many people get to beat Stu baylor in motos so i uh, i'm only going to say that, that if actually, he shows up without uh, a bike and without gear um, <laughs> uh he actually passed me like right before the finish and then i passed him back around the outside on the grass track so uh that was sweet yeah and uh i went down to takati for the uh for the takati enduro 
and I won that too, um, which was awesome. And then I uh, I kept the roll going and won in uh, at the hair scramble this past weekend. Dude, that's fantastic. So you, you're the first guest we've had on, actually, that, that's done the Tecate Enduro. Tell us a little bit about that because, you know, Scott Bright was upset that he didn't go. Uh, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Scott Bright went. It was Rick Emerson who I was racing with at the T-Sec Enduro because it was the same weekend as that that event. Yeah. And uh, he was he, Rick was actually like, man, I wish I'd have gone. It looked awesome. So tell us a little bit about that event because, honestly, I don't know much about the terrain um, you know, and, and all that kinds of stuff. That race was awesome, man. It was okay. it was the tightest race in the West Coast that I've ever done. Just super turny and technical. The whole thing, hundred miles of just just like fifteen miles an hour zigzagging through the bushes. So fifteen miles an hour because you were timekeeping, or fifteen miles an hour because it was that tight and twisty. No, no, it was that tight and twisty. Nice. You were just turning constantly. Uh, sounds like a lot like no the race we did. Sounds, sounds like a enduro down here in the south. Yeah, that was the the, the race that we did uh, here uh, in Gainesville, or just just northeast of Gainesville is actually where the national enduro is going to yeah. be. Come uh, two months from now, it is very not open and very not straight. Yeah, so. I thought you guys took first gear out of the bikes out west. I didn't know you needed to go that slow. Yeah. That's uh, we've had quite a few guys come from the west, like Bobby Garrison and a, and a couple other riders that have come and done races down here. And they were like, "Oh, now I get why Barkbusters exist, because in the west they can <laughs> they can wear you know the the yeah. shr- they're, they're, they're shrub guards, but in West Texas, shrubs will take you off the bike. Well, and blackjack yeah. pines in Arkansas yeah, will take you off the suck. bike too. Yeah, very true. So, were there a lot of trees in Tecate, or is it winding around rocks? Uh, it's bushes. Bushes, like, okay. Uh, like mesquite trees? Yeah, bushes, not trees, but they are very solid, and I uh, bushes, I can attest yeah. to their their strength, for sure. Their fortitude? Yes. Um, we get, Double D in the chat room said, is that why you use a two-stroke, or do you normally ride a two-stroke? Uh, I think, is he maybe referring to the Tecate or to the two-stroke that you rode this past weekend? Um, I just got the two-stroke because it, I mean, it was basically just the bike that, uh, I was going to race on the, race in the GNCCs for XC2, and I just love that thing now. I just, uh, for, for whatever reason, I just, uh, it's easy to go fast on. I don't get tired and I can ride it really aggressive, so, uh, I'm just loving that thing pretty much everywhere right now. The race this past weekend was just sand whoops for 15 miles, and... <laughs> You'd think a 450 would be kind of choice out there, so uh, um, I was I'm still pumped on the 250. That's interesting, yeah, because a lot of times you hear people yeah. rocking the 300, especially in 300, this kind of sandy size, yeah. But when you're a good rider, but in in GNCC, you're going to have such a horsepower advantage, you know, against those 250 force yeah, you, you know, yeah. you'll have almost the almost the horsepower of the big bikes, but you'll be so. You, we expect to see you in the first turn first. Just about every week, right? Can only hope. <laughs> As if it was that I easy. <laughs> well, um, so there were twenty-eight pros lined up this past weekend. That's pretty insane. Is that was it? Just kind of like a bunch of guys that showed up because it looked like the weather was amazing. Like there was just primo riding conditions. The weather was amazing, and actually, I wasn't even planning on going all week before. Uh, on actually Friday after I, I got done with work, uh, Cody Schaefer called me and was like, Hey man, 
we're going to this race. So I was like, all right, we're like, okay, well, let's go. Let's do it. So it, it was a Friday night decision, and I ran the uh, the used tires from Takati. I only uh, only rode three times between uh, Takati and this race, just uh, just because it's been so cold here. It's been like zero degrees every day the past uh, past month. So I rode yeah three times um, since Takati. I ran my Takati tires and showed up and whole shot and won that thing. So uh, I guess that's the that's the secret. Yeah, don't wear yourself out training. That's for that's for suckers. <laughs> Guys like me, we need to we need to ride more than three times. You go out in that weather, you get the flu. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it at Supercross? I think that had the flu this time. Oh, there's a lot of guys that yeah. were talking about being sick. Yeah. But you know when they can't take their Adderall. Oh, drug testing I, in Supercross. I'm just, just kidding. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. There's a, a part that I recorded with my phone and put it on the internet, probably illegally, but whatever, of Ryan Dungey on the podium and he's calling everybody out saying you know you know if you think that i don't try to ride aggressively go ahead and and, and you guys get out here and do it and all that kinds of stuff but if you watch typically he's very he plays with his hat a lot and touches the brim and this time he didn't at all and i was saying about how he was so focused and somebody was like oh test that guy for adderall so of course now luckily enough that joke will so never you die. think he has dda yeah exactly. dexic absolutely absolutely well ian um, so you've been talking about GNCC XC2. That was the plan last year. You did get a little bit. You got a little injured last year, and it couldn't happen. So what does your what does your program look like going into 2015? Yeah. You know, for the GNCCs at the XC2s. Well, actually, my plans took a, a U turn here. Uh, I decided I got an offer to race the Brazilian Enduro Championship. So uh, I'm actually going down there on January 20th. It's uh, it's a new team. It's called uh, Orange KTM Racing. So uh, it's a big dealership in uh, town, Belo Horizonte, in uh, in Brazil. So I'm going down there, and it's my my first time to never to, first time ever to just get to race and practice and focus on that full time. So uh, yeah, big change this year. Yes, for mm-hmm. sure. How's your Portuguese? Yeah. yeah, not so good. No, it'll even, be a lot better come next month. Yeah, even, even Spanish won't help you because there's Portuguese in Brazil. So. You can figure it out. Now, Ian, when you did get a chance to go work race at the the World Enduro Championship, the WEC, you didn't do that good. I know you had some issues over there. Um, how closely is the Brazilian Enduro uh, Series going to be to the World Enduro and what what have you learned from your experiences racing on the world circuit that you can apply to this now in Brazil to kind of, you know, maybe, you know, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, do a little bit better? Because I don't have a better way to say that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully I, I can do a little bit better. Um, I actually have kind of come to terms with how I did uh, when I was over there before because a lot of guys that I was close to, like racing, we were all kind of getting our butts kicked, and a lot of guys have come up from that group and are now doing really well in the in the premier classes or in the top of the junior classes. So I don't I don't feel I feel like I'm definitely faster and more prepared, fitness and and technical technical riding than I was uh, three years ago. But um, there's a lot lot I can take from it. I'm, I'm kind of an enduro guy at, at heart. I like the just doing one 
doing sprints and transfer sections and uh, and doing that. I, GNCCs are great, but it's not really my my forte. I love I love enduros, so I, I'm excited about racing FIM style enduros. Um, but I've learned a lot about fitness and nutrition and that sort of thing in the past few years that I didn't didn't know when I was uh, when I was 20 years old over there. Um, so I'm excited for another shot. I'll get to race the World Enduro in uh, in Brazil. They're having one this year, so I'll get another shot at uh, at all those. All those guys over there. That's fantastic. Um, so, uh, I haven't traveled overseas too much, and I feel like every time that I do, I always learn something new. Like something will just come and just jump out of nowhere and catch you. And we've talked about this a couple times on the show. Like when I got to go to a dance club, and you walk in the front door, and they say "sex upstairs, dance downstairs," and I go, "Whoo shit." What did I just walk into? Like that's when you learn very quickly that the situation you're in is not the situation that you thought you were going to be in. So in you're that, not in Kansas anymore, yeah, Brian. There's no tornado <laughs> taking me to see any kind of witches. It got weird. So you know, you have spent a lot of time over there racing. You spent a lot of time around a bunch of dudes that know how to probably have a good time. Do you have any kind of interesting situational stories of a, of a of a twenty year old American? You know, in 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 Europe or maybe traveling the world. Um, you know, I need to go to the places you go. By the sounds of it, I haven't frequented that one. Um, uh, I uh, I went to Finland and Sweden in 2012, and I went with a buddy of mine, actually my neighbor. He's a real good trials rider. His name's uh, Kiefer Jacobson, and he came with me just as my. Uh, as my pit guy, but he, every night I was going to sleep at nine o'clock or whatever, and he would go out and party all night. So by the end of the week, we would just walk down the streets and he knew everybody in this little town, <laughs> like just from seeing him at the bars. So by the end of the, uh, by the end of the week, we, uh, he got us invited to this huge house party where this uh this just rich guy who owned a bunch of movie theaters he gave us the the keys to his uh i don't know it was a mercedes it was a sweet car and we like ripped around town and partied at his house like all night and stayed there in the morning his uh his wife like cooked us breakfast and scantily clad and it was <laughs> You're like, it was like wow bacon and eggs or so. what am i getting here this is awkward <laughs> Like you know, exactly. you, you hate so, people uh, like that that can just do that naturally. Babe Ruth had that. Uh, Roger DeCoster used to tell stories about Joe Robert that, you know, when he was winning the open class and Robert was winning the 250 class, and he was like that every night. He'd never practice. He'd never eat properly. Uh, he was terribly overweight, and he won all the time. And there, DeCoster's just breaking his butt, training, eating, learning, practicing. He's winning too. But he's working at it. Right. So you hate people like that. They're just natural. That that don't even have to work at it. Well, I, I well, he we, wasn't Keeper wasn't working at anything. He was my my support guy. So he like was sleeping in the in the rental car most of the day while he was. Uh, oh, so he wasn't a rider. Okay. But so. as long as he as long as your bike worked, that's that's the key, right? Yeah. As long as, long as he did everything he was supposed to do to at least about ninety eight percent. Sold. <laughs> For sure. Okay, so was it January 20th then that you're taking off? Yep. Man, so you're going to miss King of the Motos too. We were just, we had a, 
uh, Alan in the chat room was saying, hey, man, he sounds like a really good guy that could be a rider at King of Motos, but you're going to miss that, too, because of uh, already being in Brazil, right? Yeah, uh, I was wishing I could go to that race, uh, but it doesn't, doesn't look like I'm going to make it. I kind of, uh, the 252 stroke is working so good in the extreme stuff and on the starts that uh, I'd like to do it, but uh, maybe next year. Yeah. So, a little... A little person of sorts on a Facebook Messenger app was asking me if I would be interested in some form of a rally of rally racing series in the United States, and I said yes, absolutely, I would. I would be interested in that. I was like, it would be very cool to possibly have, you know, only two or three for me. Like I, I, I wouldn't. I pro- honestly two. Like, I, but I would if I knew. That rallies were going to be happening in the states, and and obviously, if my dad were to be able to to go with me, as long as we could do what we did in Baja again for these events, I would totally be be in as long as he could do it. And then that way, I could say, okay, cool, I'm going to make these kind of two trip my priority. But other than that, like as an as an enthusiast, I wouldn't be able to do any more. But how interested would you be in a series like that in the United States? And do you happen to know any more of if there could possibly be one in the works? Man, that's that's all the first I've heard of it. Um, it would be cool for sure. Kind of, I think one of the cool things about rally though is that it, they go through really unpopulated areas, so. It'd be it'd be sweet if you could do one in like Montana, Idaho area or Nevada. I guess would be uh, would be sweet. But um, yeah, I'd be I'd be into it for sure. But it seems kind of far out to me. Yeah, I agree. And that's one of the one things I asked uh, when I was talking with Dave Peckham in uh, in Baja on the day the day after my bike blew up when I was hanging out and we had just gotten there. I asked him, I was like, why don't we have something like this in the states? Yeah. And it, it's logistics. It's just the and fact land. that. Yeah. yeah, how can you do that amount of riding in in kind of one spot? And the problem is, is you can't. Like, there's you, you would be riding on so many roads and so many connectors and things like that, which isn't horrible. But at the same time, you really would like to stay away from population as much as possible, so that you're not bringing a hundred riders, you know, down the highway, doing whatever they're doing. Like, so I don't know. But well, we did that in the Colorado 500. Yeah, you know that would that would be. You know, we didn't have anything. We just followed trails that were out there. Right. You know, we just rode wherever we wanted to ride. But we rode two, three hundred bikes through a town um, at at one time through Crested Butte, through Gunnison, through others. Uh, as long as they would be transfer sections within an within an event, you, you can't break the speed limits right. or whatever. And yep. you know, in a rally, they've got you on. Yeah, they the, can GPS the you to make sure you're not. They know yep. you've you've uh, been speeding or not and penalize you accordingly. Um, it's just a matter of finding these little areas that may be 15, 20, or 50 miles apart where you can have a decent test section. Then you go ride down the road to the next next test section. And that can be done. I almost tried to put one of those together in Arkansas because there's some great riding areas, but it would take the whole state to do it right. We just don't have the land. We need to move to Colorado and plan this, Dad. Ian's going to have an open bed when he leaves to go to Brazil. Well, it's you know you'd think in Texas you could do something like that, but too much private so much, land. Yeah, everything's fences. That's the first thing that I see when I get to Texas is everything's fences. Yep. 
You know, in Arkansas, everything's like, oh, there it is, wide open. You get to Texas, and you can't go anywhere without going through a fence. Without a shotgun pointed at you. So this would not be a good state for that reason. But places like Colorado and the BLM land, if it's still available, Arkansas, places like that that still have wilderness and it's open to the general public, yeah. it could be done, but it would take a lot of work. Yeah, it would, especially to organize. Like I, I like what you're saying about the Colorado 500. Yeah, it's like... Here are all these trails in this area, you know, go ride those if you want, if you want C, if you want B, if you want A, but then to organize it to where everybody's kind of, yeah. oh boy, that would be nuts. Yeah, we put 300 bikes through Crested Butte at one time and had almost no trouble. Well, there you go, Ian. We'll uh, Once you get back from Brazil, we'll uh, put it in your hands, okay? All right, sounds good. Just don't cut your hair, because after that, if you do, yeah. you'll probably screw it up. <laughs> Can right. you believe my hair used we'll to be see. that long? Oh, my hair used to be that long too. What was it that you called me when I showed up and uh, when we were uh, when we were in Nevada? Do you remember? I don't remember, man. It was a hipster. But I am trying to get a new nickname done for uh, for Chris Bach. Uh oh. I want to I want to hashtag Bach on Chris Bach every time uh, every time you post pictures of him. Say it again. Hashtag Spock. For Chris Bach, do you think he looks like Spock? I don't know if he looks like it. I just think it's a sweet name for him. <laughs> All right, I'm down. Spock it is. I like it. Let's make it happen. Oh, Fred, dead, Ian Jim. in Brazil. Ian is arriving a tad before... Oh, uh, it said somebody uh, who's listening said that you're going to be arriving a tad before Carnival. Did you do some samba practice? Have you been practicing your samba is a good question, <laughs> actually. No, no, I've got so Fred's the uh, the manager down there. He's, oh. my, he's my new <laughs> boss. So yeah, he will be there for Mardi Gras. If I haven't been practicing samba, I don't know. I've been practicing dirt bike riding, so hopefully that's good enough. But yeah. chicks, chicks dig scars, bro. Just take your shirt off, and they'll be like, "Ooh, buddy." I mean, they're not going to know what you're saying anyway, and you won't know what they're saying. So, what, where will you be staying when you're down there? What major city? Or will you be coming uh, back and forth? I'm no, I'm going to stay down there. I'm going to come back and forth maybe a, like a few times throughout the season. But, uh, yeah, it's Belo Horizonte, and it's a uh, uh, central part, but it, it looks sweet. They, I guess you can ride pretty much pretty much wherever. And he showed me the house where I'm going to be at, and uh, there's just, like, trails everywhere just right from there. I was looking on, uh, on Google Maps. That sounds pretty epic. Oh. Sounds pretty epic. Forget Mardi Gras. Go yeah. ride. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to worry about Go Carnival. ride. Um, but have you ever been to Mardi Gras down in New Orleans or maybe in southern part of the states? No. Okay. Well, no, I was I was going to say if you had, you might have gotten a taste of what you would experience for carnival uh, down in Brazil. But get ready, dude. You're probably going to be in for uh, one of those uh, situations I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, Mardi Gras day, you'd blow a whole month of training. I want to know exactly all the all the things you walk into and you go. Holy shit, Brian was right. Here it is. It's just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right. Cool, man. Well, dude, come on. Give us give us some uh, some last going aways before we uh, sign off with you and get Ricky Bray back on. So going to Brazil, racing the Brazilian Enduro Series with the new KTM team, 
uh, it, you know, how long is that going to last? And once that's over, are there any plans for you to come back and try to hit races uh, in the States, or does that look like majority of 2015? You know, I've got a few races that I want to do, just bucket list races. I really want to do uh, – we're talking about the Certos Rally this year with uh, with Rally Pan Am. And then uh, just for my own – own goals i really want to do the austro the australian five day or four day australian yeah. four day yep. is in tasmania this year and then there's uh the roof of africa i met a, a guy who lives down there when i was in australia to, to do that so that's kind of a bucket list race for me that one's in uh december though very cool very cool well you just let me know if you need a guy that's good at finding situations and i'll easily go with you my wife might kill me but <laughs> You you know you'll get some interesting phone calls as well while we're discussing stand in line. Too. Yeah, how think? Yeah, no, that would be such a bad idea. But yeah, dude, it'll be fun. We look forward to it. I am probably not going to be able to do the Baja Rally this year. Um, it, it's one of those deals where it's kind of like the bucket list thing. You know, I love the Baja Rally. I would love to do it again. It's just that there's other little things that have kind of come up too that I'm like, you know, I might want to do that more now that I've done this. You know, so the little things like that. So, but if you get a chance and you're back in the states, the Baja Rally was a lot of fun. Uh, I know they're always learning and they're going to grow a little bit more and learn a lot more. So, that would be a cool event for you. And I know we've told everybody else oh, that they Scott, get a chance. Scott wrote it. And yeah. Then one last kicked year. ass. So, um, yeah, it would be it would be really cool to see you down there competing against those guys and uh, you know beating Scott. You know, whatever. <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, dude. Well, travel safe. Make sure you take cool pictures and tell me every time that uh, you get into a situation that I was right. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Take care. Good luck out there. Later, Ian. Later. So it sounds like he was all ready to come back for some GNCC racing, and then a new opportunity arose, and he decided to take that, which is totally cool because I get it. He I would say for sure that he's more of an enduro guy, and I wish he would be, had a chance to race more national enduros here yeah. in the states. I think we would get a lot of see a lot more out of him if we were to be here for that. But it's going to be cool to see him down in Brazil. Um, we'll that, see how he does. A series that I don't know much about using the international rules, which oh, is more the, like our yeah. new national format, anyway. which is like the the new uh, the new drug rules with uh, Fim and Wada for Supercross. Oh. They let you know like two weeks before the series if you can or can't race, that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. No, okay, no other stuff. You don't need to. You don't need to. <laughs> no p test. No what? Looking at your watch and looking at your odometer, you just go. Yeah, I know it's going to be nice. Um, but it's a different kind of speed. You know, it in a in a hair scramble, you've got to you've got to maintain your pace for all that time that mm-hmm. you're out there for the two, three, four hours, whatever. But in the enduro. You've got to go absolutely sprint. Yeah, 110%. For, for, yeah, for 110% for six or eight miles. And then you go. <sighs> well, it'll be interesting and then you to go learn 110% too, for six or if eight that miles. series is as short as, say, like the World Enduro Championships is, because those are, I mean, those, are, those can be five yeah. or six minutes. Oh, you know? really? Yeah, like sometimes they, the shorter ones are like crazy quick. And a lot of motocross type grass tracks, and yeah. that's why they kick us so badly but, in the six days. But they're. O- older style grass tracks, not right. like yeah, not like you'd right. say like a bunch of jumps or anything like Triumph that, so. BSA. Right, but it'll be neat because this will give us a chance. Because with Ian, what we'll be able to do now is we'll be able to talk with him every now and again, see how he's doing, learn a lot more about this series, and see a lot more. So we'll kind of get a chance to to learn more about a whole another series from around the world. Mm-hmm. And 
I want to know how he likes that two-stroke 250 on wet grass track. I thought you were going to say Brazilian women. No, Brian. But, no, okay. Motorcycles. That, I the mean, that would be fun, too. Turn, the world turns on motorcycles. That's, well, the wheels turn on the motorcycles. Right. Oh, okay, right, right. So, our second guest for this evening is Mr. Ricky Brabeck, the guy who won just about everything out west last year. How's your evening going, kind sir? Uh, it's going great. How's yours? Oh, man, fantastic. We just got off with Mr. Ian Blight, and now we're on with you. And I have to say, I didn't know, yeah. Congratulations. My, yeah, congrats on being on the cover of the AMA magazine, dude. That's awesome. A cover boy. Oh, not me. I, I mean, I've been on in, on the inside of the magazines, but never never on the cover, if you know what I mean. Um, so where did you come from, I think, is a good question for not just this show, but for a lot of people. Because if you do the research and you talk to people that rode out west, they know who you are. They've seen you kind of grow up, I think, in, you know, in your mid-teens as you were doing some racing and riding out there with you and your family, um, doing really well. Um, but then you know you kind of disappeared for a little while, and then came back. And when you came back, you started kicking a lot of butt. You know, I think uh, it's it's been pretty cool to see. So, kind of talk us through a little bit about what where you kind of came from, and then what really started to bring you to the forefront uh, in 2014. Um. Well, you know, I I did my first desert race when I was like 15 or 16 or so, and then. Uh, I just stayed local doing all like the Lucerne rounds and, uh, I graduated high school and got a job and kind of had to start doing my own thing, paying for my way and making money. <laughs> yeah. Making money. And, and it's not, it's not cheap racing dirt bikes and you don't make a whole lot racing dirt bikes either. But, uh, I was doing it as best I could and I, I kind of, gave up on the, on the nationals and like the local district seven races for a few years. And I started gaining some weight. So, uh, I kind of put my head down and started training and I got offered to ride the ball 1000 in 2013 with Robbie Bell and Taylor Robert and Dave Pearson. And, uh, ever since then, I kind of just put my head down and really, really started training, training my butt off and, this year or last year in 2014, it, it really paid off for me. Yes, yes, it did. You came away with three different championships um, out there on the West, um, and I think it's I think it's a surprise to some is that you that you know there's you're still kind of a I don't know if, is privateer the right word with the team that you're on with the THR guys. Um, Tell us a little bit about your program. I think that'd be good. I, I'd love to know a little bit more about that because I, I don't know a lot of the specifics there. Well, you know, like it's it's kind of half and half, I guess. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a lot of privateer effort, but there's also THR Motorsports that's behind me helping me get to the races and pay for the races. Which is a, obviously always a big help. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Precision Concepts, you know, they suspension company and mm -hmm. motor – they build bikes and prep bikes. Uh, they stand behind me and help me a lot as well. So, so it, it's basically myself and, and, and them two. And I, I would consider it a, a half privateer effort and a half somewhat professional effort. Uh, I just, it's not like a, like a salary kind of, right. kind of effort. Right. So understood. And, um, and are you on, uh, one of the you've, you were on the KX450 last year. I mean, is that the same? You're on the the same 450, the 2015 version though for this year. Uh, we raced 2011s, so 
Um, the last two years I've been on in 2011. Um, I recently just bought a 2015, like last Friday. Nice. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we can get that uh, dialed in to work good across the desert. That's that's like that's one reason why I read the 2011s is because there's really no better Kawasaki than the 2011 going across the deserts. Okay. Interesting, man. And um, so you've got the 2015. You got the National Heron Hound coming up, you know, for the the first round, which mm-hmm. is one of the uh, championships that you're going to want to try to defend. Um, are there? What are your major concerns, or or are there any um, with getting the 2015 kind of, as you say, ready for the desert? Uh well, um, with with Baja being next week, um, I'm leaving Thursday, going out of town, and. So I'm going straight to the Heron Hound from Baja. So right. the 2015 won't be ready for the first Heron Hound. Um, so I'm just going to race the 2011 that I raced all year last year. Okay. Because, I mean, to get the 2015 dialed in, it's going to take a lot longer than just a day to, to get running good in the, in the off-road stuff. So maybe for round two, the 2015 will be out there. But for now, it's the 2011. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, obviously it treated you – Treated you really well last year, so I don't think that that's a bad decision. <laughs> and the airport may take a little tuning, you know. Get yeah, uh, yeah. We're we're trying to work around that. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we yeah we, it, that's that's been really interesting. But this year they go to the triple the triple chamber airforce, right? And, and the whole idea behind that third chamber that they've now put in is if you were to blow a fork seal, that you're not going to lose all your air pressure, right? The the, the yeah. way that the chambers work now, right? And the low then, pressure chamber is but near the, the sea. The bigger problem with air forks, I'm trying, I'm trying to to to, to learn, is that they're too progressive. They're you, not linear enough. Is that for a lot of the adjustments for for off road? Is that kind well, of what you're what you've kind of heard? I know maybe you haven't had a chance to really test with them that much, actually. Um, I had a 2013 that had air forks as well, but it. The air forks aren't really made for the desert. They they don't they don't work good at all. It just they're too they're too rigid and it, it, they just don't work for off road. Hmm. But uh, for the 2015, I think we're gonna get some uh, some 2011 forks for it. Interesting, man. Just you see, we've seen that in in Supercross well, too. Well, if you stop and think about it, with a with a three chambered fork, you've got three sets of spring rates. You have three sets of dampening. You got to tune everything perfectly, and it, while it's designed to hit supercross jumps, you know how well does it handle the little pebble in the road, which is, or the pucker bush, which is what he's having to deal with. Um, it can be done, right? It's just, it's a just lot we got to find the people, and we, you and I, know a couple of people that can probably do it, but the people have to dedicate themselves to make those things work. Well, it's like uh, we're yeah, not obviously- there yet. A huge, huge supporter of seat time is Alan Stillwell with Stillwell Performance. Right. You know, a lot of people were talking about how much trouble they were having with the four CS forks. And after he figured it out, and he came on the show and he told us about how much how much effort he had to put in to figure it out. But once he kind of figured it out, that you know he could set them up, and, and he got five star rating with Dirt Rider. So agreed, right. that's kind of like there but needs to be that level right. of effort put into. But at this point in time, you don't have time to be Mister Development. You right. Know, you you've got a series to go win. And yeah, you got to run with your bone. Not enough time, right? Yeah, and and then, got a yeah, and how much how much working are you still doing? Are you are you still kind of having to do a full time job to to help support the effort that you're you're putting into everything? 
No. Um, I recently got some outside support helping me for this year. So that, that allows me to stay home and really focus on, on racing and, and staying, staying training. Fantastic. That's you know, awesome. what I found interesting was, uh, is who's your working with you this year? Who's, who's the, working with me this who's year? Your, are they working with you this year? Yeah. The yeah machine? That, that, who's your, yeah. who's your STHR? Yeah. So what's interesting is you have two suspension sponsors working with you. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, Precision does the bike and who's your, I don't know if you know it or not, they make biological implants, knee replacements. So they handle the other half of the suspension. Yeah, once yeah. once your knees go out, you'll be able to. Uh, you, you'll appreciate that knees. when you get older a little bit. But you actually yeah. have two suspension sponsors, one for your bike, one for your knees. <laughs> yeah, and do you do you say that because you have some of their products? Inside uh, of you? Actually, mine are Biomet, unless they make Biomet. Uh, I don't know, man. Well, I wish we'd have known that a couple of years yeah. ago. Could yeah. have gotten a deal. Couldn't have got it. Could have got a Hoosier. <laughs> Who's your new replacement? We could have had some THR in my dad. He's like, dude, check out how fast I am, bro. <laughs> that would have made a whole other, uh, like when yep. you were wearing like riding shirts and stuff, you'd have been like, well, I, I keep, you haven't heard it, but I used the, the joke that I raced in the day when your suspension tuner was your orthopedic surgeon. You know, cause, yeah. you know, we had four inches of travel and it didn't work very well. So, no. uh, I mean, you guys have wonderful equipment to, to ride today. Air yeah. Forks, bro. Air Forks. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so, okay, talk us through how, because I remember seeing you make a couple posts about how just absolutely crazy your season's going to be this year. Mm. Um, so talk us through a little bit about the se- the series that you're going to be racing in, so we can kind of clarify that for some of the people that don't really know a lot about what's going on in the West, um, what the schedules look like, and then kind of how you plan on tackling, you know, logistically going through the year, because it's going to be a lot. Um, this year, uh, I'm doing the same as I did last year, which was, uh, racing National Hair and Hounds, uh, Best in the Desert and Score. Um, last year, I think there was a conflict with only one race and that was a Hair and Hound and a Best in the Desert race. Uh-huh. And this year, um, there's two Hair and Hounds that conflict with two score races and then a hare and hound that conflicts with uh best and desert race. So there's there's three races that that are conflicting within each other. And um I don't I think out of all those I'm gonna miss one, which will be okay because uh my best and desert teammate, Robbie Bell, he can solo the, the race that I'd have to miss. And uh that's what he had to do last year. So other than that, it's just like a it's it's a lot of traveling, um, a lot of races on Saturday, and then a hair and hound will be on Sunday. So for like the Baja 500 and the San Felipe 250, um, those races are Saturday, and there's hair and hounds on Sunday. So I'll I'll be racing both days and basically loading up right when we finish in Mexico and going straight to a hair and hound. Oh, my gosh. Oh my that's that's going to be intense. So how – I mean, are they are – they, Luckily, hare and hounds that are semi close in the sense that you're not driving from Mexico to Idaho, or are you going to be driving from Mexico to Idaho? I have I, the second one uh, for the 500. I have no idea where that national is at, but I know the first one is uh, the first national is obviously it's it's right here in Lucerne, mm-hmm. my hometown. Yeah, and uh, 
from San Felipe to Lucerne, that's maybe probably a seven hour drive. But I, I don't even know. In, and the in second one's in Barstow. The second, the okay. second uh, Hare and Hounds is in Barstow, and then the third one's yeah. Second Hare and Hounds in Barstow. The third one's in Idaho. Oh, buddy. Yeah, I, then. Uh, but that's not till March. The second Hare and Hound. There's also a Best and Desert conflict that's in Laughlin on Saturday. So then I'll be driving from Laughlin Saturday to Barstow to race on Sunday. Man, that's a that's going to be an interesting schedule to keep up. If if you can, and, and obviously. What you did last year was awesome. Super, super stoked. If you can get one more championship back-to-back, that is awesome because your logistics are going to be crazy. You're going to get much sleep. Your, your schedule is going to be so off. It's going to be very tough. So hopefully you've got a great you know group of people behind you that are helping you make all these drives and that kind of stuff. And if you do, the more, more power to them because you know, that, that takes a lot to, uh, to make that kind of stuff happen. Does the mechanic... Do you have your dedicated mechanic, or is it? No, I don't have a dedicated mechanic. Um, last year, I kind of did with uh, Ty Renshaw. He, he helped me out, but he got uh, – Robert asked him to be his mechanic for Factory KTM this year, so I kind of lost on that end of the deal. But Ty's still a good friend, and I, I know it helped me if I need it. Yeah, for but sure. As, as of right now – um, I don't really have a mechanic that, that goes on the road with me. Well, if I was any good at being a mechanic, and I could, I'd help you out. But I'm no good, and I can't <laughs> help you out. So I'm, I'm, pretty much, uh, I'm pretty much made for this, and I'm not really good at this either. So Yeah, it's, the, those are going to be a challenge as you prepare the bike, unless you have two bikes, for the second race. Will you have two bikes, or will you have to prepare yeah. Saturday's bike to race Sunday? No, we have two bikes. Okay. okay, sweet. Well, then that'll help out a lot. That'll man. help a lot. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes it a little bit easier, man. So, um, again, being somebody that's really started to learn a lot more about the, some of the racing that goes on on the West about the past two years, um, it, it's kind of the way I understand score and best in the desert is it's it's very point to point. Like you start here and you follow, you kind of follow a route that's either that you either pre run. Or is marked, and you know whoever gets done fastest wins. Now that's that's typical at least. But then with the hare and hound, those those actually do a little bit more of a loop, correct? Which you could still say is a A to B, but it's more A to A. But like those those typically a little bit more of a loop opposed to more point to point. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, Best on desert is is definitely point to point. Okay. Um, and and that's really that's marked really well. Um, Baja, there's, there's some loops, uh, some point to points, but Baja, you really got to pre-run because, I mean, not, not only knowing the course, but like knowing your surroundings because it's not really marked the best. So, so on race day, you don't want to be like second guessing yourself where you are, where the course is. So yeah, pre-running is always good to, to know your surroundings and, and kind of know where the course goes so that way you don't get lost because the markings are, aren't that great. Uh, Hare and Hounds, they're, they're more of a loop race. Um, two, two different loops, sometimes three. Uh, Hare and Hounds are I, – I like Hare and Hounds. Those are, those are fun and really family-oriented. Yeah, those, those do look like a hoot. I, I, would, I would really enjoy a chance one day – 
you know, whenever that might happen. And, and you don't need to race it to be competitive, but just go mm-hmm. go entertain the idea of going out there and doing those. How how uh, how many miles typically are hare and hounds? Even if it's kind of an average, are they around about a hundred miles? Or are they plus or minus that? Uh, normal hare and hound, I would have to say about eighty miles. Okay. I think last year the longest one was. 112 or something like that, 115. But I'm in, like, I don't even think there was one hare and hound that, that we finished in under three hours. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, they, that's fast. 80 miles, fast. Well, like, was it 80 miles in, in o- just over three hours? I, we haven't finished one under three hours. Oh, changes things. Never mind negate what i said <laughs> and that earlier they've got to main, they maintain a speed that they can race for three hours yeah unlike the enduros yeah well i tried to maintain a miles per hour or i guess kilometers per hour in baja on my ktm and i blew it up so that was cool <laughs> that was cool <laughs> It was and, cruel. It happens to the best of us, I guess. It's funny though because yeah. Andy Greider uh, blew his uh, his Honda up. What I don't know. A handful of miles before I blew. Uh, or I should I should be saying kilometers because we were in kilometers. Uh, a handful of kilometers up before I blew mine up. So he was on the road though, so he was a lot easier to get to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were on a road. I was, I was it was just, just on a, a yeah, dirt road. Just a dirt know? road in the middle of nowhere. A Mexican <laughs> highway. But so. As far as the types of racing, then, the logistics seem easier in the Heron Hounds as well because then you don't have to have your, your pit crew moving with you and then bringing you back or a vehicle at the other end to bring you back at the end of the race. So the logistics seem easier in a Heron Hound. Yeah. Yeah, the Heron Hound, you know, the pits are, the pits are usually in one spot uh, for, for both loops rather than a best in the desert or a score race where, where your chase vehicle is actually like, believe it or not, your chase vehicle is racing down the highway as fast as they can go. So they can beat you to the next pit. So, uh, we had a good, uh, question in the chat room from double D again. He's on it tonight. How do you pump yourself up at the start to drive fifth gear pin through the prairies to get to the first turn or smoke? Whatever they call it, and I was like the hound. I think that's because the hare and the hound. But oh, the hare! I'm an idiot. But still, like, yeah, like, what do you do before the start of that to be like, all right, I'm about to just like hit the go button or Kickstarter button, and or just kick the Kickstarter because I have a button. Weirdos with Kickstarter, still, I don't get it. And then <laughs> just like haul ass through the desert. Well, usually before the hare and hounds, um, you know, obviously you start on a row with like a hundred people. Um, I, I'm my, myself, I'm pretty calm because once that banner goes up for a minute and like, you're, you're ready to go that, that minute seems like five minutes. And it, I swear your heart rate's probably peaking out at like a 190 to 200. And, and once that flag drops, dude, your adrenaline is through the roof and you're just freaking, you're just going for it. Oh. I bet. That's, that's like, like a motocross like a, start. Yeah, Same that's thing. like, a, so in, in Texas, a lot of the cross-country series are dead engine starts, or two of them are. 
And then we've got one, TCCRA is a live engine start. And I, I go out and do a lot of practice days with TCCRA, but I don't get a chance to, to be gone the whole weekend and do a full race weekend and all that. But when I do, I always forget that they're a live engine start. And that is just like, that's just so not normal for me. And it's just like, it's just my heart, like the, the 190, 200, like I get like so amped up. And I'm not, you know, physically amped up. I just like, I feel like my heart is going to jump out of my chest because I get so nervous. But it's just not normally what I do. But I can kind of relate on my my little level. Well, and the minute before your row goes at an enduro, it's the same thing, you know, he's experiencing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. I may not be as fast as you guys, but I can still, you know, be as nervous as y'all. But then again, yeah. you you don't go fifth gear pegged through the pucker bushes. Heavy no clue in the middle of the desert gonna that's going to send you over your handlebars. You know, at 100 miles an hour. Um, I went 115 out there in Pahrump, Nevada, but I was on a dirt road. I don't know how you guys do it on, through the pucker bushes. I, that's amazing. I think you don't hit the pucker bushes, right? Right? <laughs> right? No, you don't hit the pucker bushes and you don't hit the road crossings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That shit's crazy and y'all are nuts. And I'd like to be out there one day in your not pro class uh, enjoying one of them with you. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Now, one of the questions that the Dirt Rider um, article asked you was about the, the the popularity of the Hare and Hounds out west versus that unnamed non-AMA series back east. Um, and you kind of mentioned things like television coverage. and Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because, I mean, your racing is just as intense. And, I mean, that's where Husqvarna started, that in motocross in this country, you know, with the old Huskies from, from Sweden. Um, what, do you, what do you see as the reason that that doesn't draw the television coverage and doesn't draw the spectatorship that, say, the unnamed non-AMA series back east does I I think it's more of a, a manufacturer manufacturer thing uh, because out out here in the Heron Hounds you only really have two factory riders and that's that's Jake Argybright and Ivan Ramirez that's a, that's a yeah. KTM and a Husky where where like GNCC and all that they got they have multiple riders and they have like every manufacturer out there really, really sponsoring people and, and helping them out. And I, out in the desert, I, I don't think they, I don't think they see it like that out here. Well, one thing, okay. So think, I think about it a little bit from the production standpoint. Um, I get it. Like, I, you know, I've, I've helped out with the racer TV guys, you know, when they mm-hmm. were originally starting the webcast, I was helping them out. And then I've been on a couple, and they have a lot of issues when it comes to point to point because when you're doing wireless, you know your transmitter and your receiver have to be able to see each other, have to line of sight. Um, and I'm thinking, well, the desert, you would have much better line of sight than mm-hmm. you would at a say at a GNCC where you're dealing with all the trees and all the people and stuff like that. Where if you were to you know set up two or three cameras on some of the, the top points of some of these mountains and have it transmitting down to a station that's broadcasting yeah. in the pits. And helicopters. You would be well, but helicopters are stupid expensive. There's just there's yeah, nothing well, cheap true. about a helicopter. But yeah. I think that you would be able to have pretty good coverage um, for that kind of stuff. Now it you wouldn't want 
I'd change up the format if I were doing it. But I still think that if with the right people and the right equipment and the right research done, that you could find a way to do just as good um, of a broadcast, a live broadcast of the Hare and Hounds uh, for, uh, know, for for the Internet. Um, but, but it's interesting that so much, so much revolved in our industry around California in the early days where you are. I mean, every time you picked up a, a, a magazine – all it ever talked about was Barstow to Vegas and, and you guys hare and hounds out in the desert and long before score or any of this. Uh, when did it change? I mean, it, it's interesting that the transition changed from west to east at some point in the 80s, and it, it hasn't come back. Yet everything is still in California. Yeah, all the manufacturers are there, the bikes come through there, and yet the focus has been more toward GNCC and less on you guys, and it used to be all on you guys. Well, is it is it because of the fact that in, on the West Coast you seem to have more motocross, and on the East Coast you seem to have more off road? I don't know. For some, I, I don't know if I'm making that relation for out of nowhere, but that's kind of the way it feels. Um, and so maybe the West Coast is seen more as like where you're going to make your motocross sales, where the East Coast is seen where you're going to make more of your off road sales. Have you seen any of that? I mean, is that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. You just know that they don't put a lot of money into the West, <laughs> into the West Coast and the off-road yeah. side. But if we keep doing things like this, you guys are going to get real popular real quick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I haven't seen a GNCC rider on the cover of this magazine in a while. So, because yeah. Scott Summers was my favorite, but he's not riding Hold anymore. But. Yeah, you know, hold the bike. <laughs> yeah, picking up a Honda 650. That's, but um, I mean, it, this is great for for you guys. The fact yeah. that you're getting the visibility, every AMA member in the country um, well, uh, gets and, it. And so you know, just because, and it happened this year for 2014, GNCC is now an AMA sanctioned event again. And the, the one of the big things that was holding them back, and we had uh, um, Tim Tim Cotter on to discuss that. One of the big things that was holding them back was the fact that you couldn't get a one day license. And that's what AMA was like. No, because we want members. You know, we want your members, your members, your members. And they were like, "Okay, we're out." And obviously, there was way more than just that. Yeah, for the riders, a one day license. Yeah. But um, and once they, you know, were able to come to terms, then well, what you'll see then too is better scheduling. Because part of the challenge you're running into out there is you have AMA events and non-AMA events. Right. And if they were all AMA events or all somebody, you wouldn't have those conflicts. Because you'd have one scheduling organization that would say, no, you can't have it on this weekend because they're having it. Let, let's try the next weekend. Um, so it would it would help you out there a lot if there was you know, more unified sanctioning. But it isn't. Yeah. Yet. One day. Let's see. Well, you've, you know, obviously to get as good as you, you've gotten, um, you couldn't have just ridden the desert. You know, what other kinds of riding did you grow up with? Did you do a lot of motocross? Did you do some prowls riding? And you know, how did you how did you get so fast? Besides in the desert, um, I well, I grew up I grew up racing BMX, so yeah, yeah as like I, most of us, it seems like yeah. So my my childhood thing was was kind of BMX, and I, I rode motocross. Here and there, but it was, it was mostly BMX, and that, that was it. And then uh, two years ago, when I actually started taking like racing seriously, I I spent a lot of time at the motocross tracks, really, really learning 
learning like how to how to ride and how to how to be smooth and techniques and all that. Yeah. Yeah. You learn to carry speed in the motocross world too. You know, you learn to carry speed and everything's relevant. You know, when we're charging through the woods back east at 40 miles an hour when the trees are this far apart, that builds a sense of speed of going 115 when they're, you know, a wide yeah. road. Yeah. So, you know, it's a sense of speed, but on a motocross track, you get a good, you get the ability to carry speed quickly. I know that transferred over to BMX too, because, yep. you know, you could, or not to your off-road bicycle. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a and it, it, uh, it translates over. So the faster you go in one helps you go fast in the other because yeah. you're used to seeing things go flying by quickly and at you quickly and anticipating keeping your head up and looking down the trail as opposed to looking at your front wheel and smelling the flowers. Checking out your mylar. Yeah. So, and it's good cross-training. Yeah. BMX, huh? Do you, do you ever ride anymore? I mountain bike a lot now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's Man, great we, we cross could, training. Yeah, uh, you should uh, start riding uh, KTM's, and then you can get a KTM bicycle too. <laughs> they're Can two separate it? companies, but it's still fun to say. <laughs> but they're not orange. Yeah, I know it's it's a different marketing scheme, man. Yeah, different. And, yeah. and you got to think about it too. KTM bicycles in the mountain bike world, they don't that there's no ride orange like in the right. mountain bike side of things. So yeah. like to us. If they're if the market that they're trying to sell KTM bicycles to is only people that own KTM motorcycles, then yes, they're totally missing the mark. But they're not, it, it, and that's where some of the problems are that we could discuss. But this yeah. is not a show about mountain bikes and KTM bicycles. So, Ricky, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it, it's it's awesome to get chance to get to know you a little bit better. Um, as I say, it, the past two years is when I got a chance to really start. You know, noticing and paying a lot more attention to what goes on on the West Coast. Um, riding in the desert baffles me, especially after I got a chance to race to ride down in Baja at the Baja Rally. Uh, such a larger respect for you guys. Not that I never really had it; it's just that I didn't understand it. Um, and now that I have some relevance to put to that speed and the terrain and what you guys ride through and go through, um, and and trying not to blow up your bikes, it's intense and. You know, hats off because that's tough to do to win one series in the desert, and you pretty much win all three in the desert. Uh, that's pretty intense, dude. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank you. And they they kind of compared you coming up to Kurt Caselli. You know, um, do you have any plans in the future to try to move into rally racing the way Kurt did? Uh, you know, I'm just I'm just having fun right now and trying to live the dream. So. Yep. Whatever whatever happens gonna happen and I'm I, I can only hope the best, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best and try to pull off three more championships this year. Yeah. So that would be awesome if you could do it, man. Well good luck out there. Have fun. Thanks again for coming on the show and uh hopefully, and we'll keep we'll keep an eye. We'll yeah. We'll be rooting for you. Hopefully we'll uh, have you on again after you're uh, halfway through the season and in the lead of all these crazy ass championships. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Take it easy. Have a good night. Congratulations. Thank you, too. (laughs) Later. All right. So um, another good one. Question. So Jacob Argybright, obviously, with some spelling errors, came to Colorado for an enduro and didn't do that well. Dot, dot, dot. Do you think that there's a West, Central, East Coast have kind of a specialty where they kind of desert enduro and GNCC? I would say... 
my biggest thing is is yes but no and i have some explanation behind that is because of the fact that there are riders that adapt extremely quickly um we saw kurt caselli was one of those riders he could adapt extremely quickly um now we'll look at caleb russell caleb russell is an extremely talented racer um obviously two back to back to back gncc xc1 titles one Overall, a GNCC on an, a 150, you know, dirt bike. I mean, obviously the guy has talent. Now you go look at how he did at the Tennessee Knockout. Look how he did at the Enduro Crosses that he tried to do. Um, and then he was actually winning the National Enduro that he rode up until the very last test section, clipped the tree, crashed his brains out, mm. and just didn't get back up quick enough. That happens. But I talked to him. About the TKO and the Enduro Cross. And I was like, dude, you know, I was like, I think you did awesome. You know, you're easily in the top 10 of all this kinds of stuff. And he was so frustrated. He actually didn't even want to talk about it that much on the show when we were talking about it because he was just so disappointed in his performance. But what I told him, and what a lot of people have told him, is, dude, you're a talented racer. You know how to ride a dirt bike. You just don't practice this. You know, Enduro Cross, TKO, that kind of hard Enduro stuff is extremely specialized. Um, right. to, to be at the top tier, to be a top five kind of guy. Um, and so there is starting to be a little bit of a, a specialty within some of the, the off-road series, um, just like there are guys who are extremely good at Supercross, like a Josh Hill. A Josh Hill on the right team would have been a, it was a very good Supercross racer, but he was you know, top 10, top 15 for motocross. He just w- didn't cross over well, and vice versa. There's guys who aren't as good at Supercross that are really good at Motocross. Yeah, and so I, I, there is something to that where you start to, as as series start to get bigger and more people start to kind of stay in one area. I do think that you're going to see less people yeah. be able to just to jump ship and stuff. Well, and you see that even in auto racing. You know, back with the. The Unser's and AJ Foyt and that generation, you could jump back and forth from an Indy car to a NASCAR to a Le Mans, and you could win all three of them. Mm-hmm. You can't do that now because the vehicles are so specialized and the racing is so specialized. Uh, Dario Franchitti had an outstanding comment. He said, the reason I had trouble in NASCAR is because I grew up with a way of driving with an open-wheel car, mm-hmm. and you don't drive a NASCAR like you drive an open-wheel car. So rather than try to learn all over again, I went back to, to IndyCar. Well, it's the same kind of thing here. I mean, the, the motocross guy learns learns a way to ride. A tight Eastern Woods enduro rider or GNCC rider, they're not fifth gear pegged. They have got to literally learn how to use the trees to go fast. Right. To bounce off the, you, you know, use the front wheel. We saw Lafferty do that all the time. Use the front wheel to bounce off the tree to make the turn that otherwise the handlebars won't fit through. Right. You don't learn that out west. That isn't how you grow up. Whereas you take that skill set and put it out there in fifth gear through the pucker bushes to the first turn in a hare and hounds, that's a different skill set. Yeah. So as, you know, back in the early days of motorcycling, you probably could have a good generalist that could do it. Malcolm Smith, you know, the <laughs> yes, first the first uh, on any Sunday movie. Um, he could do everything competitively. Um, Roger DeCoster, they put him on a street bike, and he qualified fifth at one, one race that I saw. They stuck him on a Suzuki street bike, and he qualified fifth. 
and he'd never been on one before. The days of doing that, though, are over because of specialization. Because the, the bikes, bikes are, are different, the skill sets are different. Can somebody cross over? Yes. Is it easy? No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's just. And yeah. so we may be looking at motorcycling now evolving and maturing to the point where auto racing has matured, where you can't be good at all of it because it's a different skill set. Yeah. And and then there's the guys like, you know, we talk about the guys like Kurt. We're talking about Toby Price, you know, and there are there are a lot of guys out there. Like, I honestly think you give Caleb Russell, if Caleb Russell has a desire to be a good rally racer, he's going to be a good <laughs> rally racer. Um, but he... There are certain people like those guys I've just mentioned that they you give them five minutes in the new kind of parameters and they don't they don't go ooh I've never done this before I have to learn how to do this they immediately go this is what I know this is what I have to do this is how this makes me do this like from what they already know they just they make that work the way it needs to work and then they kind of start to learn the right, right. way to do it. But um, that takes that takes some acclimate. You don't take right. rider with skill set B, dump him into A's environment, and have him just automatically start beating A. Right. But in a month, two months, yeah, a season. That's like Cody Webb. Cody Webb. Well, there was a lot of people expecting Cody Webb when he did the National Enduro in Colorado to be in the top five, and I was kind of like, you know, if he has a great day, I could see that happening. But he's not a sprinter which is what the National Enduros have kind of become. You know, that's more of their longer sprints, but it's still go for six, eight, ten miles, um, and that's not his forte. So, well, Hanging on an Enduro cross. Is, <laughs> now, there was another question that uh, your, your reader had. Um, I believe there used to be an Enduro out in the Buena Vista area. That would be an Enduro if you survive it. Don't fall off the side of a mountain. There's a lot of desert-type terrain in the BLM land. But then you also get up into the mountains, and you have absolutely first and second gear tight single track. Um, so if there's an enduro in Buena Vista in Colorado, uh, like there used to be, then that would be, I think he was saying, well, how do you learn or where can you go to do both? You know, where would be a good neutral ground? Man, I would think of enduro in Buena like Vista. Buena, would do uh, from what I understand, uh, the, the, the hills around Boise, Idaho are a lot like that. Like if you kind of get down closer to the foothills of the mountains, you get kind of a deserty oh. kind of area. And then as you go up into the mountains, like where we did Idaho City, we did the Idaho 100, the, the ISDE qualifier, you know, super awesome trees and cool elevation and all kinds of fun stuff. Like, so it's, it's that's but, an yeah, interesting. He's in, in Colorado, and if he just so. goes to Rampart Range, you know, you're just going to peg it and get run over by all the UTVs. Uh, you can go into Taylor Park. Taylor Park has... Um, you know, down in the flats, if right. you remember, that's pretty wide open stuff. But then as you get back up in the hills, especially as you go over the mountain down into Crested Butte, that's about as tight and technical as you're going to find. Uh, so the same dude was asking the questions has been down in the chat room with the words Mike Brown. Mike Brown, Mike Brown. Yeah, absolutely right. Dude kicked butt on motocross um, and then kind of started that transition over into off-road a little bit later after that. And literally just any time that he gets into it, he figures it out, makes it happen, learns it, and does it. He is absolutely one of the guys that can kind of, that can get into a situation, learn the new techniques, and kick butt. But you're but, also starting to see Mike Brown kind of, I think, at the at the tail end of right. his career. Um, so, And he was racing to keep an AMA number for a while in the outdoors. Last couple of years, he was racing to keep his AMA outdoor number, yeah. not to win. 
Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. 311. Not the band. Mike Brown. On the bike and in our hearts. Always. Well, cool. Well, Dad, thank you very much for coming back on the show. It's always fun. Talk dirt bikes. It's, 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 you know, being a fan of the sport, but us also being 35, there's so much more that happened, obviously, before I became interested enough and then my ability to remember crap as well. So I like how the fact that you can kind of come on and bring up a lot of retro stuff, things that would be way before either my memory or from my time. Um, so that's always good information. And I think it's really interesting how you made the exact relationship in the car world to kind of what we might be seeing right now in the motorcycle world. Um, obviously not even just off-road, but with as well <laughs> with the Supercross and Motocross kind of stuff. Like, is there going to be a time where Supercross and Motocross, there it, it's so different that, you know, you're not going to wind up having, uh, you're not going to cross over between the two. You're going to be a, more of a specialist. Uh, I, I don't see that now. Not yet. I don't no. see that now. Off-road but and Supercross. It'd be interesting. Let's see how, you know, some of the Supercross riders do in the woods. Yeah. Whew. Not with those Air Forks. <laughs> oh. Uh, air Forks again. Seriously. Uh, I, just, I had Air Forks back in 19, what was it? I had a 1974 TM400 Suzuki. I had Air Forks. Then hmm. I put the springs back in. Yeah. And, then and they I had got, air and assist. Got rid of them. And that can am that can you right can am you right? I learned my air lesson. Forks. Yeah. So we run ten PSI and the springs. We have air assist. Air assist. Works great. And thirty weight motor oil to increase and decrease the dampening. <laughs> that's that's the way we do it here, folks, at seat time. Just add oil to your dampening. Thirty weight motor oil. Oh yeah, exactly. That too. Thirty weight motor oil. So it makes it even more weird. <laughs> Remember, Seat Time is presented by Fly Racing. You can find out more about Fly Racing at flyracing.com. If you didn't see on Friday, we did post that part three of their winter series is out. So they're talking about mid-layering. Um, actually, a lot of good information there. If you are someone that rides in, in, in extreme cold temperatures, obviously, being in Boise, Idaho, they're around a lot of snow. Um, so it's very important to make sure you're layering up and layering up correctly with the right amount of stuff as a base layer, a mid-layer, and then a top layer. Uh, we will later this week be getting part four, which I believe is when they start to get into that top layer kind of stuff. Earlier on, we were learning about helmets and gloves and how you can kind of keep some of your extremities um, warmer in those situations. So flyracing.com, definitely go look for part three of their uh, of their winter series. It's got a lot of really good information for those of you guys riding in the winter trying to stay warm. Of course, Stillwell Performance. You can find out more about those guys at stillwellperformance.com. They know what they're doing when it comes to 4CS forks, um, obviously betas. They even do some dampening on some Fox Racing uh, products. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. Cody Webb, when he was on his beta, was still running a Fox Shock in the rear. And I heard that there might be some R&D on some Fox forks floating around. They used to make forks. I know. Uh, well, they may be doing that again, which would be really cool to see. Uh, it, it's interesting, and I'm sure it's complete value, that it's all money. But I think it's very interesting that there's not a very um, – it's interesting how the aftermarket products are in the suspension industry for dirt bikes. I don't, oh, I don't think wonderful. we have the options we should. Um, but, again, I, that's not my field. That's not what I do. I don't, understand, I don't know the actual financial uh, stuff – if you will, behind all that. So, but the some of your sponsors and some of the other folks we've worked with, they do understand. Oh yeah, 
they 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 know and they can do it. But I've, another thing about your list for the, you know, taking care of yourself in the cold weather. <laughs> those of you guys riding carbureted bikes, don't forget to jet up. Oh yeah, the jetting is a whole lot different between ninety degrees in the summer and thirty degrees in the winter. So you don't want to stick it up by running lean. So check your plug and jet up if you're going to do a lot of cold cold weather riding. That was part one of Papa Pierce's seat time tips. Part two will be out next week. You guys tune back in. <laughs> and then oh, didn't jet back down then in the summer. Or you'll oh, okay, be that was rich. part two. <laughs> Man, this is good. We're getting a lot of content. All right. But if you if you electronic fuel injection, just go ride. Yeah, just uh, part three. F it. Just go ride. So uh, keep it pinned, stillwellperformance.com. Remember, like I say, you don't have to just say, oh, yeah, Stillwell Performance. Let's go spend some money. Big thing is, is if you have questions about your suspension, maybe some bike setup, maybe some engine tuning, things that you're thinking about doing, Alan and uh, and his group of uh, his group of cohorts, they know what they're talking about. They're very, very educated on all those kinds of stuff. So drop them an email, use their contact form, and ask them questions. Those are the kinds of things that you need to be doing. Um, and of course, uh, Flex... Flex bars from Fast Company. If you're not riding with them, you are just hurting yourself because, man, it makes your arms and your hands feel so much better. You can ride so much longer. And you can then go to a GNCC where you don't have them and realize how much you love them, like me, back in April. It's a big, it's a big you were supposed to buy a set of those for me for Christmas for my 990. Oh, crap. I have to go buy them myself? Oh, crap. Well, we know people. <laughs> no, we buy them. I'll buy them. We know people. Well, but we know people to at least call and say, hey, let's right. get the process started. So while while we go check out FastCo.com, you guys go check out FastCo.com and look at their flex bars. This has been Seat Time, episode 153. Thank you guys for tuning in. Remember, it was Ian Blython first, Ricky Braybreck second. Um, we will be back next week. And what's even better is we're going to have Jason Wygant on. Um, so the Weege is going to come on and talk with us about 2015. There's been a lot of team swaps, a lot of new bikes for yes. people. Well, we, we talked about that two weeks ago with Dylan Green. So if you didn't catch that, episode 152, great episode. We talked for a long time about a lot of cool stuff. But we're going to kind of take a little bit of that information and, and kind of pitch it a little bit more GNCC-centric um, and a little more East Coast-centric mm -hmm. with uh, you know Jason Wygant who, even though he's kind of in the motocross world and supercross world, he actually enjoys off-road a lot. So he, he kind of sees this as a treat when he gets to talk about that. Um, from what I understand, Jordan Bailey will be in again next week. Hopefully we can finally remember to film her doing her push-ups that she's supposed to have been doing since August. She's a whole lot better looking than I am. Eh, well, we do what we can. Take what we can get. Up until then, please remember, support those people that support Seat Time. Check us out, seattime.co. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're on the Instagram. Subscribe to us on YouTube. If you don't like my face, just do the audio on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll see you next week. Remember, always enjoy a pint full of awesome. Peace.